Welcome back to the Eponymous Rock Podcast. My name is Max Thomas, and we are continuing today our series on the church. And I'll be honest, I've given actually a fair amount of thought, um, as much as probably I've given to any episode thus far, um, on how I wanted to actually kind of start this. I've, I've already, you know, had a couple of guests on to talk about the church, I have a couple of more already planned in different aspects. But part of this series that I want to do is I actually want to wrestle through and look at some of the the metaphors and images uh, that the New Testament uses for the church. And specifically, I want to look at where those images, um, where their roots are in the Old Testament and how uh, when we go back into the Old Testament and we see how the New Testament authors are are reading the scriptures in light of Jesus and uh, using that to to talk about uh, the church, this this group of people now formed around Jesus, uh, how all of that works and how those images rooted in the Old Testament scriptures then get get employed. And so hopefully you, a few things are happening here. You're, we're gleaning on how to read scripture, uh, how the Old Testament and New Testament are working together. Uh, but then hopefully bringing to light some new things about the church and the images used. And I've given a fair amount of thought to, what should I start with? Um, you know, we have tons of images in the New Testament to talk about the church, the bride, um, the sheep, and as Christ is the, the good shepherd, uh, sons, daughters, adoption, family. Um, there's a whole bunch of them, and we're going to get to probably all of those and some more, because um, there are a number of them, and, and we need to look at a lot of them because they're all facets, different facets of the same thing. And But I've given a, a good amount of thought, actually, to where, where to start. And where I actually wanted to start is that the church are the baptized. Uh, what it means to be the church, fundamentally, is we are the baptized ones. Now, as someone who grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal evangelical context, that is not the first place that I would have always thought to begin. That's not the first place that I would go. If I were to go in kind of the circles that I run in now, and I would say, hey, give me you know a couple of the fundamental metaphors or descriptions of the church, I don't know if the baptized would make many lists at all, really, if any. And so, but I do think actually the more I've studied the scriptures, just personally in general, and then even for this series, um, and I've actually been teaching through some of this material um, lately as well, the more I'm convinced that actually baptism and our baptism is foundational to every other metaphor, image, description that the church is given in the New Testament. And and hopefully that will become clear that I think as we talk about baptism today and maybe even in another episode, um, we'll see how much there's there's quite a bit here that I, I would like to get to. But all of these other metaphors and images, many of them actually, if you were to trace them back and those images back, they come back to the image of 
baptism or the moment of baptism or the, the, the thread, you could say, from Old Testament to New Testament of baptism. And so we are the church, we are the baptized ones. And I thought it would be a good place to start, actually, is in Matthew 28, when we're talking about uh, the church as the baptized people of God, those that have been baptized into Jesus, those that have gone under the water in the name of Christ and come up. Uh, I think actually a great place to, to start is the command that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew 28. This is, for most people, the missionary verse. For most people, this is the verse about, um, you know, going to the nations of the earth. And But he says, go to all the nations of the earth and make disciples. And Matthew 28, 19... Uh, starting in uh, 18, excuse me, 18, 19, 20. But then he he says, okay, go make disciples. How how are we going to do that? How do we make these disciples? Well, he gives us two things. One is baptize them. And baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So there's a Trinitarian aspect to baptism from the very go. Now, again, this is Jesus' last words to his disciples. This is, you know, post-resurrection, immediately before his ascension. This is his command to those 12 and the, the others that were there, and and then also to us. Go into all the, the world, into all nations, and baptize, and then teach them everything to obey everything that I've commanded. So teach them the scriptures and to obey the scriptures, and and baptize them. And on the surface, this this verse is so familiar, and it's been so ingrained in me, at least personally, in, as a missionary verse. I have not given a ton of thought about the idea of baptism in this in this verse, and and what the role of baptism is. I mean, Jesus is here on the Mount of Olives, post resurrection, about to ascend, and he is launching the church really in this moment. This is his sending them out. Uh, in his name, and he is about to leave, and he is about to send the Spirit. And the command that he gives them is to go and baptize people. Go and put them under the water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And because what he says, the command, the, the base command there, is he's telling them to go and to make disciples. And what I think one of the ways that we can I think, understand this verse, that Jesus' command here to his disciples, then and, and us now, is that they and, and we, by his Spirit and presence now with us, are commanded to go and to remake the world into something that it is not, into followers of Jesus. That in the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has done something completely new, He's overthrown the principalities and powers. He's conquered death. He's inaugurated the kingdom of God. And we're supposed to participate in that event and proclaim that event to the world, that Jesus is king. This is the good news, that that the world has a king, and his name is Jesus, the crucified and resurrected one, that the world has a new ruler, a new kingdom, that the world is a new creation. It's a new place, that when Christ raised 
from the dead. He is, as Paul would, would say, he's the firstborn from the dead. He is the new creation of God come, come to, to, to being. He is uh, the culmination of God's work. Just as Adam was raised from the dust in a garden, so the, the new Adam, the second Adam, is raised from the dust in a garden, and he's launched out into the world, that this is a, a new creation. And that all authority now, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, that he's the king, he's the ruler, he's the one now who holds the keys of death and hell, that there is now no place in creation which Christ has not claimed as his own, including death and hell. There is no place in creation, in heaven and earth or below the earth, that Christ has now not claimed as his own, and to use the language of Paul, that he is not filled with himself. And he is, as again Paul says, filling everywhere with himself so that Christ becomes all in all. And so because Jesus is who he is, because he died and rose again, because he's ushered in that kingdom, and because he's conquered death and hell, and because he's the king, and because he is the new creation come, that we go to the nations with a mission, Jesus says. And that is to make the nations into something. That is to take the nations that are in one state of being, and by God's Spirit and grace, make them into something new. It's not obviously our own doing. It's our participation, as I was just saying, in the story and the accomplishment of Jesus already. But we are, we are by the Spirit, with the Spirit, we are making the world, the nations, into something new. We are to go and to make disciples. We go in Christ as fellow new creations to the old world, to work to make it new by the Spirit. And the question then is, how does that happen? Go into all the nations and make them disciples. Make the old thing into something new. Make the current state of being into something that it is not. How do we do that? How is this new thing made? How are the nations remade and transformed? The nations are remade and transformed into disciples, into followers of Jesus, into new creations by baptizing them. By baptizing them. That, again, I don't, that isn't how I at least had thought about it for my life, but it's right here in the text. Go make disciples of all nations and baptize them. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, that the waters of baptism remake the world, and that out of the waters of baptism, a new world emerges, that this is fundamental to what it means to be the church. We are the baptized ones because we are the ones who have been made new. We are the baptized ones because we are in Christ and therefore now God's new creation. What does Paul say? Behold, old things have passed, and all things are made new. Anyone who is in Christ is what? A new creation. That just isn't some generic metaphoric language to talk about something has happened to you 
what I, what I want to look at tonight is actually, I think Paul, even in that language, he's, he's subtly alluding to our baptism and to the Genesis 1 story that it's through the waters of baptism that things are made new, that new life has emerged out of the waters of baptism in the same way that Christ has erased from the grave. So we, Romans 6, we were buried with him in our baptism, and we've been raised to new life as a new creation in his spirit uh, when we were raised up with him in our baptism. And so the waters of baptism are the thing that remake the world, and that out of the waters of baptism, a new world emerges. Baptism, I think we can say, is the way in which sin and death are washed away, and we are made new creatures in Christ, that when we go under the waters of baptism, we are joined with Christ in his death and raised with him as a new creation, as something other than what we were. And and this is a, a little side tangent, but I, I want to hit this point here, and, and I'll probably repeat it a few times, because I think I, I grew up thinking, and I don't know where I explicitly got this. Um, baptism wasn't a huge thing for me growing up. We, The church that I grew up at did baptism. It was a semi-big deal. It wasn't something regular. It wasn't something, though, that was talked about a whole ton. Um, it was, you know, once or twice or maybe three times a year. And uh, if you wanted to get baptized, you would maybe go to this class. But it wasn't in the, the public or the the general conscience of the uh, of the church, um, it wasn't. You know, we went to. I think held it as a, a sacrament. Really, is to use a theological term. It was, it was merely a uh, a public confession of faith. It was the way in which someone stood up and said, "I'm a follower of Jesus now, and this is how I'm making that that public confession." But I think when we start to put the puzzle pieces together of Old and, and New Testament, I think that is selling baptism short. I think baptism is not just a, a marker of some kind. It's not just a proclamation of some kind that, that we are making. I think, if anything, it's a proclamation that, the, that God is making about us, and that the Spirit is making to the world about us, and to the world about itself. And the proclamation is that He has made all things new, and that there is a new creation come now, that it, when every person is baptized, the gospel is proclaimed, not just by that person who stands up and says, I believe in Jesus, but by the Spirit itself and by the act itself, that the act itself is a proclamation. The act itself is a declaration. The act itself is is preaching by the Spirit, but not just to the church, yes, to the church, not just to the individual, but yes, to the individual, to the whole world, that the Spirit is saying, all things have been made new in my son, and here is another one who has been made new by my son. But it's more—it's more than just a proclamation. I think when when we take seriously what the 
the scriptures are saying, and we start to connect all those images, I don't, I'm convinced that something actually happens at baptism. I don't have all the language for that. I don't know if I could tell you exactly what happens, except to say that when someone goes under the water and comes out, they are new. And that isn't just a a theological concept or this metaphor or just this symbol. It's I think there's something real happening in that moment, that the Spirit is actually doing something, that when a person goes under the water and comes out again, they didn't just get wet, they were actually made into something new by the raising up of that water, that when, when the Spirit moves at a person's baptism, which he does at every baptism, in the same way that he did at Jesus' baptism. That in the same way when Jesus rose up out of the water, the Spirit descended and the Father made a proclamation. So we, when we go under the water, the Spirit is moving and he's doing something and the Father is speaking and he's proclaiming for all to hear. Right? It's it, it, Jesus' baptism is the Father who's doing the preaching. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He's the one preaching to the world. But to us, who are now in Christ, something is actually taking place. Something is actually changing. We are different after we come out of that water than what we were when we went into that water. And there's... there's um, mystery there. There's a lack of words and language to describe that, but I think we have to take seriously how all of these images and stories, and we'll look at one or two here in this episode, and then maybe another one or two in the next episode, how they all fit together. And when, hopefully when you see the chain of stories together, and, and the, what they're saying together, I think it becomes clear, at least it's, it's become pretty clear in my mind, that baptism is not just some symbol, that something is really taking place in the person, that God is actually doing something. I think you could say it this way, that we've been not just made into something new, that in the waters of baptism... To quote John 3, we've been born again. What does he say? Unless one is born again by water and by spirit. John, I mean, Jesus, when he's talking to Nicodemus in John 3, he links the idea of being born again or born from above, you could translate it either way, to the waters of baptism and to the Spirit. Those are all, all three of those ideas of the Spirit and baptism and being born again are all intimately connected in John's theology. So baptism, I think you can actually say, and I'll, hopefully we'll, we'll get to a verse, I know that this will come up again, The baptism is the the time in which a person is born again. Baptism is the time in which a person is reborn. Baptism is the, the time in which a person is born from above. Again, this is to say that something 
has actually happened, that in the water of baptism, God's Spirit and power are at work. And I know that opens up a whole can of worms about the relationship between salvation and baptism, and we will get to... um, we will get to Peter. Uh, there's just no way not to get to First Peter three, and we'll get there. But but for now, just consider John three. That unless someone is born again, born of water and spirit, they cannot see the kingdom of God. We have to acknowledge that and. And what other water do you want to say that is? Uh, Christian theologians from the very beginning have all agreed that that's baptism. There's there's no other water that that is. You know, there's some there's some symbols that are just universally you know uh, agreed upon from the very beginning, and they are pretty obvious. You know, when Jesus is talking about bread, it's usually his body. When the Bible's talking about water, it's usually baptism. When it's talking about wine, most of the time it's talking about his his blood. Um, so there's, I mean, there's tons of examples we go through, and it's not 100%, but you could say, I mean, there's, what other water of salvation is there other than the, the water of, of baptism? Um, so, Let's start here. Let's start connecting some dots. The church is the baptized. Where, where does this idea of being born from the water come from? Well, I think it actually begins in the beginning. Uh, in the beginning, in Genesis 1, we're told that God made the heavens and the earth. And these are, by the way, the same heavens and earth, and this is the same phrase, that Jesus now has authority over. In fact, in, in Matthew 28, when he says, all authority has been given to me in heavens and the earth, um, I, I do think he's actually alluding to Genesis 1, that in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth, and now God in the flesh is saying, I have all authority over those heavens and the earth. So these are the, the same heavens and earth, like Genesis 1.1, he's made all of them. And the earth, we're told, is without form and void, and it's covered in darkness. But the Spirit, it says in verse 2, is hovering over the face of the waters. So right away, we have to acknowledge what Genesis 1 is saying. Genesis 1, in the narrative world of Genesis 1, waters were already there. there this isn't the... Boy, I'm going to open up a whole other can of worms. Genesis 1, the, the narrative world of Genesis 1, this isn't the creation out of nothing. God did create everything out of nothing. Obviously, I believe that. But if we just read Genesis 1, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit was hovering over the deep. There's water already there before 
any of the commands given by God. And actually, if you read the commands given by God, um, they are ordering commands, um, mainly. They're creation, but they're ordering. They're day and night, you know, light and dark, you know, land and sea, whatever. And they're actually laid out where the, the first three kind of form a triplet, and then the second three form a triplet that map onto the first three. So he makes the spaces in the first three, and then he fills those spaces in the second three. Anyway, so this is, this is, about, this is about ordering. But just my point here now is to say, in the beginning there was water and there was darkness over the water and formlessness and void, and, but there was water and the Spirit was, was hovering um, over that water. The Spirit is moving. He's at work. And so in Genesis 1, when God speaks, life emerges out of that water. So if we just continue to read, it says he, he separates the waters from the waters, the waters above from the waters below. So he's, he's got, think of, so I heard someone use this example one time. Think of a bathtub and somebody taking a, a balloon that's a deflated, sticking it in the water, and then blowing up that balloon. So it creates this big pocket of air and separates the water from the water, and now there's this kind of pocket of, of air in, in the middle. This is kind of what's happening in, in creation. There's this... there's just water everywhere, these cosmic waters of chaos and darkness. And God begins to speak and separates the waters from above and the waters below. And then he begins to call land out of the water. So all of life comes out of the water. In, in baptism, the church speaks. We're the ones now as the voice of God on the earth. And a new life is born again and emerges out of the water. That I think one way you can look at baptism, and we'll see this actually continue to be, to be played out um, in, in the subsequent stories that we look at, both Old and New Testament, is that I think the fundamental claim of baptism and why I think when we're starting a conversation about the church, I think actually the, the place to start is that we are the baptized, is because we are the ones who fundamentally have been made new and new life has emerged out of the waters, that the God of Genesis 1, who spoke and brought all life out of water, has now spoken over us and the church as his voice has spoken over that individual and as they have gone under the water and come up they come out as a new life and in the same way that the spirit was hovering over the waters the spirit is hovering over your baptism my person's baptism and brings new life out of them and what does jesus tell us go and baptize in the name of the father and the son and the spirit and then we get to jesus's baptism and who is there the father who speaks the Spirit, who's hovering over the waters like a dove, right? It, it's the same imagery as in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, it's, um, the, the word there is, is actually literally the, the, 
the Spirit is hovering or flapping over the water or, or um, fluttering over the water like a, like a dove, like a bird. And so it's Father speaking, Son in our place coming out of the water, and the Spirit is there moving, bringing new life forward. So I think the one way you can talk about baptism and why I do think it's, I think it's the foundational image of the church is because every baptism is a retelling of Genesis 1. When a person is baptized, it is the proclamation of Genesis 1 all over again, but a new creation. It's, it's the remaking of, of creation. It's that the old creation has passed away. And it's both a, a, a look backwards to the God of Genesis 1, who called life out of the water, who now calls this life out of the water. But it's also a proclamation forward that the hope of the gospel is that all things will be made new, and that the whole world will be made new, and that the whole world will be born again into newness of life, that all things, Revelation tells us, will be made new. That it's a new creation, it's a new heavens, and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem coming down. And it's, guess what? Water flowing from the throne. And all of this is, I think, all of this is connected to say, Every baptism is a retelling and a reliving, a recapitulation of Genesis chapter 1. And so again, in, in our baptism, in every baptism, something is actually happening. New life happens. New creation happens. That our personal world that was formless and void and filled with darkness and chaos, it gives birth to the new life at the Word of God spoken over us by His church through the Spirit which is hovering over those very same waters. And now we are called to bring it all the way back to Matthew 28, to go to the nations, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to the poor, to the hurting, to the oppressed and to see new life spring forth in them through the very same waters of baptism. And so the the basic story of Genesis 1, of overcoming darkness and chaos through water, is the story really of God's salvation. This is the, if you want to, you can talk about it this way, I think this is the, the, the prototype, this is the model in which all the, the following stories are going to take place. So we're going to dig into to a bunch of these. But let's think about um, the story of Noah, salvation through water. Think about the Red Sea and, and the Exodus, salvation through water. Think about coming into the Promised Land, salvation through water, crossing the Jordan River. And on and on and on it goes. Noah, uh, or I mean uh, Jonah, 
the, the prophet going to the nations who's trying to run away? Where does God take him to make him something new? Down into the water, and then he comes back up. Um, over and over and over again, and there's those are some of the big stories, but you could talk about small stories as well in which water plays an act in which it's the mode of salvation. It's the way in which um, God saves his people, as he saves his people through water or by water. And so let's actually just end there. Um, I I don't want to get too far ahead into some of the other stories because I want to point out some of the details. And so what does it mean to be the church? It means to be the baptized, the baptized people of God, those that have gone under the water and come out, that just like Genesis 1, we are God's new creation, called out of the water by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, made new in God, for God, by God, as a retelling of who this God is and what He's done in the beginning, and a prophetic sign to what he will do in the future, that we as people, as the church, as the baptized, that our very identity is to stand in that in-between, in that retelling of the God who is and what he's done and how he has saved us through water and what he will do in making all things, all things new. And so uh, we'll stop there. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast. If you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, please do. Uh, These episodes will be coming to you uh, hopefully at a little bit quicker of a pace here. We had uh, some traveling and people visiting and things like that in the last few weeks. And so that made it a little bit more difficult to to record. Um, But I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you haven't um, ever left a review or a rating on iTunes, that would be great. I don't know how those algorithms work. but apparently it helps and that would be great. Or share it on social, IG, Twitter, TikTok. I don't know. I don't have any social. Um, so I don't I don't have any way to get this out other than through word of mouth. So if you find this helpful, that would be great. Also, if you ever have a question, if you have a question on baptism, if you have a question on the church, if you have a question on anything, uh, my email and, my, um, and a link for an audio message is below. You can always use those as well. So... Thank you so much, and we'll see you guys next time.